Good morning. Thank you. Good to see you all awake this morning. My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders here at our church. And if this is your first time with us, welcome. We are really glad to have you here. Uh, thanks for coming to, to spend this morning with us. According to the Bible, Jesus Christ claimed that all the work he did was work given to him by God, his Father, proving that God had sent him to the earth. And on two occasions, God spoke from heaven to approve of Jesus in the strongest possible terms. The voice spoke, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And God confirmed this assessment that Jesus was his beloved son. God confirmed that by raising Jesus from the dead for all to see. And we will give special celebration to this glorious event of Jesus' resurrection next Sunday. But this week, we must understand that Jesus did all this work, all these things that God had called him to, including dying. He did that so that we who were outside his family might be brought near and be brought close to him. So that now those who believe in Jesus are God's sons and daughters. We now, as his sons and daughters, look forward to the Father's commendation of our labors. We wait for the day when God will shout from the heavens, Well done, good and faithful servant. So how do we get there? How do we get to that day? How do we live as God's children so we can hear that divine job well done? done on the last day. The book of Proverbs has a lot of insight for us on this. We've now spent a few weeks in Proverbs examining how to be people of wisdom. We've talked about how to move closer to the Lord God Almighty and away, how to move away from our compulsive self-love. That's what wisdom is, moving closer to the Lord Almighty and moving away from our compulsive self-love in all the different arenas of our lives. We've already uh, had sermons discussing our speech, how we do this in our speech, how we do this with our money, how we do this with our friendship. And so this week, in our last week in Proverbs, we tackle the topic of our labor, the works of our hands. How do we work and labor in wisdom as those who know God and not as self-centered fools? I want to say at the beginning that we, we must keep in mind that the book of Proverbs is not about how to earn God's favor, since no one but Jesus can do that. But this is all about how to live a God-focused life. Remember, wisdom is all about your direction. It doesn't matter where you are. What matters is where you're going. Are you moving closer to the Lord? And we're now going to talk about how to do that in your work. Now, this week, I have a lot of information for you from the Proverbs. There's no one exact way to look at the topic of work. So I want to show you the broad range of what Proverbs has to say about this topic in hopes that each of you here today can find at least one thing out of many things that I'll talk about. At least one thing that resonates with how God made you, with your, your natural motivation and your life circumstances. So you can see in your outline, 
that I want to uh, make uh, hit six categories here. Our God is a hard-working God. Because of that, there are two kinds of work. And then we'll see six benefits of wise work, five motivations for wise work, four suggestions for wise work, and then we'll close with how God's wisdom works hard for you. That's where I will direct your attention away from yourself and back to the Lord. So you can see there's a lot here. Let me pray for us. Father, please help us to process what you have for us this morning to speak to us about work that will keep us focused on you and not ourselves. Help us now, by the power of your Spirit, to become more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, our God is a hard-working God. When the opening chapters of Proverbs make mention of God, he's usually doing one of two things. First, in Proverbs 3, 19 and 20, he creates the world. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So the first thing God does when he works is he creates the world. But second, in Proverbs 2, 6 through 8, God's work is to store up wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. There are even passages in Proverbs that combine these two things. God creates and he stores up wisdom. And it combines the two things, showing us that when God created the world, he stored up wisdom with it at that moment of creation. And the point is that he wrapped up his wisdom so intimately into his creation that you can't really live in this world, violate the demands of God's wisdom, and expect to get away with it. Look at Proverbs 8, 22 and 23. When wisdom is personified as a woman, she says, Yahweh possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth. And in, at the end of chapter 8, verse 32 she says, this is wisdom speaking, Now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are they, those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from Yahweh. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So wisdom herself says, I was there, God implanted me in the creation at the moment of creation. Because of that, if you neglect me, you will injure yourself, you hate death. But if you love me, you will find life. So we must see at the beginning here that our God is a hard-working God. Especially in creating everything that we see, having created everything that we see and experience, and in weaving his wisdom into the fabric of that creation so we might see his hand among us. So what does this mean for our work? Point number two, there are two kinds of work. Because our God is a hardworking God, there are two kinds of work we need to be aware of. First, there is work that promotes the glory of this hardworking God. Proverbs 16.3 Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. 
You see, the best way to get your plans established is to commit your work to Yahweh, the true God. Work for him in his honor as his representative, and you are working in line with the fabric of creation and what it was made for. It's like taking a butter knife and using it to spread stuff on bread. It's like butter. You're using the tool according to the purpose of its designer. But if you take that butter knife and you try to use it to split apart frozen hamburgers, I know some of you people have done it, right? Or maybe to remove a splinter. Or maybe to carve a sculpture. Your plans might not go as you had hoped. Because you're working against the natural purposes of the tool. So it is when our work flows from a commitment to the glory of God. We are using our work for its intended purpose. So what does it look like to promote God's glory through our work? Well, it means that we work like he works. Since he cares about his creation, Proverbs 12 says that we care about his creation. At verse 10, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. Takes care of the creation. But the mercy of the wicked is cruel. And in Proverbs 2, since God stores up wisdom, we work hard to find it. Proverbs 2.1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. So the first kind of work is work that promotes the glory of God. But there is another kind of work as well. And this is the work that promotes the glory of me. This is the work of the person who has no regard for God's creation, who has little regard for God's wisdom. This person's only regard is for herself or for himself. And such work, promoting my own glory and not God's, it can take multiple forms. In Proverbs 20, it takes the form of crazy busyness or workaholism. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. You can work really, really hard to get that inheritance. But if you do it for yourself, it will not be blessed in the end. But sometimes in Proverbs 21, this takes the form of laziness or sluggishness. At verses 25 and 26, the desire of the sluggard, the lazy person, the desire of the sluggard kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Have you ever thought about how, how hard it is to be lazy? Like it takes hard work. It takes incredible time and energy to satisfy your cravings. You can pursue it all day long and feel exhausted from the effort. Perhaps you've had a spring break or a vacation where you were more tired from sleeping in, from sitting around, and from goofing off than you ever are from focused study or gainful employment. 
So to understand the rest of what Proverbs has to say about work, we have to get this basic dichotomy. Wise work is that which promotes the glory of God. It moves us toward God. He's the creator of the world and the giver of wisdom. And foolish work is that which promotes the glory of self. doesn't matter whether that comes through laziness or workaholism. If it's about me, it's foolish. With that said, why should we care to pursue wise work and not foolish work? Let me give you six benefits. Point number three. As I combed through the Proverbs, I found six main benefits of work that promotes the glory of God. And I'm going to blaze through these verses. I'm not going to get to explain every one of them, but that's okay because Proverbs is wisdom literature. It expects you to think about it. So I'm going to expect you to take these home, take these to your small groups, and think about them some more and how they connect with you. Benefit number one, security. Benefit number one, security. Proverbs 16, verse 3, which I already read. Commit your work to Yahweh and your plans will be established. We've already seen how working according to God's plan accomplishes God's purposes, because who can stop God from doing what he said he was going to do? So if you do, if you work according to what God said he would do, that gives you tremendous security. Your plans will be established. Number two, ease. Proverbs fifteen nineteen. The second benefit is ease. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. You see, such work, the work of the wise, the path of the upright, simply throws up before you fewer natural obstacles. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. He's kind of stuck. So number, benefit number one is security. Benefit number two is ease. Number three is provision. Provision, Proverbs 28, verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Now remember, as we read verses like this, we have to read each verse of Proverbs in light of the context set up in the early chapters about wisdom being moving toward the Lord and foolishness being moving away from myself. So these verses here are not just talking about any kind of work. They're talking about wise work, that which is to the glory of God, that which draws you closer to the Lord as you imitate him. And the pattern of God's world is that if you want to eat, you need to work for it. And the New Testament picks up on that theme in 2 Thessalonians, which we studied a few months ago. So benefit number three is provision. Benefit number four is responsibility. Responsibility. Starting in Proverbs 12, verse 24, notice how wise work leads to being rewarded with increasing responsibility. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. And Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So children, would you like to have more freedom? 
Would you like to be able to stay up later at night, watch more TV, be able to stay at home without a babysitter someday, walk to the park by yourself? Young people, do you want to get your driver's license? Do you want to go to the beach with your friends? Do you want to have your own pet? Work hard for God's glory to prove you can handle these things. You will be rewarded with more freedom and more responsibility. Benefit number four, responsibility. Benefit number five, healing others. Benefit number five is healing others. Proverbs 13, verse 17 A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. In Proverbs 25, verse 13, Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Those who work hard to God's glory have the most refreshing effects on people. They have the most effective opportunities and they are given the most influential position because people are saying, I want more of you. I want more of what's coming out of your life, out of your, your hands. It is worth it to bring healing to the world and not to be the cause of greater pain because of your foolish work, your laziness or your workaholism. Benefit number six is wealth. And I have to say this because the Proverbs says it. This one comes up multiple times. Proverbs 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. There is usually a direct correlation, not always, but usually a direct correlation between how hard someone works and how secure they are financially. But with that said, I want to advise you that remember from earlier, you can work really hard just to get rich. Remember an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. You can work really hard just to get rich and it will not be blessed in the end. That's why the wealth we labor for that I think Proverbs is talking about is, is not, it's really not about getting more money. Because Proverbs says there are some things far better than money. There is a wealth better than gold or silver that we labor for. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Here's that word rich, richly again. But you see, the wise person doesn't work for material riches, but he works for what is even more precious than gold. As this verse puts it, the wise person works so as to have a rich, fat soul. It is the soul of the diligent that's richly supplied. This is the person who draws closer to the Lord and so shares in the wealth of knowing God. Now these six benefits, I hope, are pretty motivating for many of you. Hopefully each of you can find at least one thing in there that connects with you. But some of you might still be wondering whether it's really worth it to repent of your laziness or your workaholism. You still need a little more persuasion. Or maybe you're sitting here wondering, how, to, how do I motivate someone else 
to repent of their laziness or workaholism. Maybe someone in my care, the, the unconcerned coworker or the sluggish young person who happens to sleep under my roof. How do I motivate these people? So let's talk next, number four in your outline. Five motivations for wise work. These are not direct benefits, but these are things that I think should motivate us. Because when I, or someone I'm parenting, or someone I'm leading, struggles with foolish work, either laziness or workaholism, it's certainly tempting to shame them into pleasing me or making me look good. But what the Lord does is very interesting. He has, because he's woven his wisdom into the fabric of creation, he has built natural consequences right into the way he's created how the world works. And he's given us quite a variety of consequences to deal with. So you get to pick your poison. Okay, look with me at how this works. Motivation number one, your appetite calls. Proverbs 16, 26. Your appetite calls. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Sometimes all we need to do to get motivated to work for God's glory is to feel the hunger. Feel the hunger. And sometimes in a very literal way. I grew up in a family that had an artificial Christmas tree. We got a new one, I think, two times in my, my 18 years living at home. My wife, Erin, however, when we got married, she was much more interested in cutting down a fresh tree every year. I'm, I'm attracted to her, her insanity at times. But, you know, you want to know how she motivates me to take on what I consider to be a meaningless and tiresome project each year. Her secret weapon is offering me the most glorious brunch imaginable. She makes her own hot chocolate with egg casseroles, or sometimes quiche, because eggs are my favorite food. She makes these homemade cinnamon rolls that are mushy and beautiful beyond description. And with this annual feast, she has found a way to hire me as her obedient workhorse for a day. It's a simple principle, but it's part of being creatures in God's world. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat as Paul puts it in 2 Thessalonians. And it works the other way around, too. A worker's appetite works for him, and his mouth urges him on. Food can be a helpful motivator, or maybe some other hunger appetite you can think of. Motivation number two, self-interest never pays. Self-interest never pays. Proverbs 21, verses 25 and 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Here's the second motivation. Live for yourself. Seek only to satisfy your own desire, and that very desire will kill you. It will become a gaping black hole that can never be filled, leaving you even more distressed at the end than you were at the beginning. And if you don't believe me, please go ahead and try it. This is how God made it to work. Perhaps you should 
Just keep doing what you're doing and see if it produces a different result for you. Self-interest never pays. Motivation number three. You will cause other people pain. You will cause other people pain. This is in Proverbs 25, verse 19. 25, 19. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Have you ever had that toothache that wouldn't go away? Seems like such a small thing, but it affects your whole mood and your outlook on life. So is the one who acts treacherously. In other words, the one who is not faithful to do the job assigned to them, the person who fails to follow through, the person who fails to obey, the person who fails to be diligent, or the one who works only for himself or herself and not for the glory of God and the good of others. Proverbs 18 also speaks to this at verse 9. Um, sorry, I must have done a typo. Verse 9, I'll read that to you. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Proverbs 18.9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. You see, he puts the lazy person in the same family as the evil dictator who ravages lives. You cannot choose to waste your life or waste your time and assume that it doesn't hurt anybody else or anything else. You are brother to him who destroys. That's number three, is you will cause others pain. Motivation number four, the gain won't last long. The gain won't last long. Proverbs 21 at verse 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. So do this the wrong way. Do whatever it takes to get your treasure. Do whatever it takes to build your portfolio, lying and cheating along the way, trampling on people as you climb the ladder. And whatever you gain from it will not stick around for long. It's a fleeting vapor. The Lord delights to snatch it back from you, and death delights to close its teeth around you like a snare. The gain won't last long. And finally, motivation number five, the loss will last long. The loss will last long. Proverbs 20 at verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. So if you think you've found a way to game the Lord's system and to get what you want out of it, you will find your bread. Whatever benefits you get in the short term, it will turn to gravel in your mouth. Your delights will not be so delightful. Your rest will not be all that restful. And again, you'll be worse off at the end than you were when you started. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't, claim to follow Jesus, you're not sure what you think about him, please understand this, that a selfish approach to your life's labor, it might work for a time. It will give you a degree of wealth, status, or power, but in the end, 
it will be not only unsatisfying, but ultimately destructive, both to yourself and to the people around you. History is littered with stories of people who gave their lives to get everything they ever wanted, and they ruined themselves in the process. We can read stories about this all the time coming out of Hollywood to learn that, you know, what we think of as the good life really isn't that good of a life. And I dare you, I beg you to ask if there could be a better way, if God's world might really have a different purpose and intention, which is not only right, but also it's best for you. So for those who want to honor the Lord, who want to move toward the Lord and work in line with his creation, you're convinced this is worth it. What does this wise work for God's glory look like? How do you do it? Let me get practical. Here's the application in this sermon. Category number five here. Four suggestions for wise work. Four quick applications from the Proverbs. Number one, find your best motivation. Find your best motivation. Go back over the list of six benefits I gave above and the list of five motivations. And it's okay if they don't all jazz you up, but please try to find at least one that does. Because we're all different. God's made us all different. We have different things that get us out of bed in the morning and different things we value and different things we appreciate. So just find one thing, even if others don't resonate with you. That's okay. Find your best motivation and learn from the ant. Proverbs 6, verses 6 and 7. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her food in summer. It goes on to say. You see, the ant, verse 7, has no chief. The ant has no drill sergeant. The ant has no mom to drag her out of bed and do her laundry for her. She is self-motivated. And we can learn how to work by finding whatever motivation God has implanted into our hearts and building on that for his glory. Find your best motivation. Application number two. Think ahead and prepare. Think ahead and prepare. This is in Proverbs 24, verse 27. Think ahead and prepare. Proverbs 24, 27 says, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. You see, this kind of work, the, the, the kind of work that glorifies God by stewarding his creation and by drawing on his stores of wisdom, this kind of work will not come naturally to anybody. You need to think about it. You need to prepare for it. You need to clear out obstacles that will get in your way. You can't wait for it to happen to you. This might mean going to bed at a reasonable hour. This might mean eating a good breakfast before school. This might mean getting good exercise. This might mean doing whatever you need to do to be at your best. So you can think ahead and prepare to live your life for the Lord focused on him. Think ahead and prepare. Application number three, do the right thing at the right time. Do the right thing at the right time. Let's go back to the end. Proverbs 6. Continuing where I left off. Go to the ant, sluggard. 
She has no chief officer or ruler. Verses 8 to 11. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Stick them up. This idea comes up more frequently than some of the other others in Proverbs. In Proverbs 10, verse 5, we're told, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And then chapter 20, verse 4, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. The point is to do the right thing at the right time time. There is a time to work, and there is a time to play, and there is a time to rest. I'm often asking my children not to confuse these two times. There's a time to work and a time to play. We always work hard first. We give God the best of our efforts, and then we make sure to play hard. We play hard. But if we get those two things mixed up, everything goes haywire. Everything goes haywire. This is why I can surf social media or browse YouTube for just a little break, like the sluggard, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And before I know it, I'm out of time. What happened? What did I get done this afternoon? So do the right thing at the right time. And then number four, my last application for you here. Work hardest for the most important things. Work hardest for the most important things. Work hardest for the most important things. Please understand this, friends. Don't toil yourself just to get some money. Proverbs tells us that that is not worth giving your life to. What is worth giving your life to? Proverbs 11, 27. First thing that's worth giving your life to is good. Good. Work hard for good. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor. But evil comes to him who searches for it. What's another thing that's worth giving your life to? Wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, if you get nothing else in your life, get insight. Proverbs 23, verse 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. This is your greatest commodity. Truth. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Friends, your labor will never be in vain if you use it to grow as a man or a woman of wisdom. As you draw nearer to your God, as you spend time with him and his people, as you learn to see his world the way he sees it. But let me return to the point I began this sermon with, because we work only because he is working for us. This is how we move toward the Lord. But this is not about what we can do to show we are such great people. We do this because God is already at work on our behalf. And we're just becoming like him. This is all about how God is at work in this planet. And our hard work 
is just about how we can be more like him. So my closing point here is that God's wisdom works hard for you. Often through Proverbs, the wisdom of God is personified as a woman. And in chapter 9, at the close of the book's long introduction, this woman makes a little presentation. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. She's worked hard for you. And to him who lacks sense, she says, verse 5, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. You see, wisdom has prepared a feast. She's got all the goods for you. She has the homemade cinnamon rolls. She has the quiche. She has the, put your favorite foods in there. She's done all the hard work on your behalf. She spread this feast. Will you respond to her invitation? Will you join her magnificent brunch for the ages? Wisdom here is a picture of the true wisdom of God, the one who would come from heaven to earth, the one who created the world and built his wisdom into it. And he came to build his house and to invite his people to his never-ending feast the Lord Jesus Christ. His banquet is prepared. His invitations have been sent. Will you follow Jesus? Will you trust him with your life? Will you commit all your work to him so that your plans may be established? Our only hope to turn around from turning from working for the glory of me to working for the glory of God is if we gaze on Jesus and keep him forever in our sights, right in our field of view. Because then we may leave our simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to be our wisdom. Thank you for accepting his work, which was offered for your glory, and that his work is finished And we are your children if we trust in him. We don't need any other sacrifice. We don't need any other mediator. We don't need any other good works to become your children. But yet, Lord, help us to want to please you. Help us to to align our work with the fabric of your creation that we might not constantly be living in this hedge of thorns where everything's working against us. Please help us to honor you, to be people who bring healing and hope to the world and benefit to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.